Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. Hey, welcome back to Talking Out Loud. Boy Sully, number one podcast in the A10, still is, still gonna be moving forward. It's episode three here in the offseason, a couple weeks away from the Dayton Flyers taking on the Lindenwood somethings. Edwin C. Moses Boulevard's where you're gonna find it, and that uh, is Monday, November 7th. I said a bunch on this podcast, you know, if you're listening to this show, um, there's a pretty good chance you've had that date earmarked, bookmarked, you've made note of it in your head. Um, so lift back the curtain a little bit, man, sometimes putting together these podcasts, I have the whole idea, all right, here's how the show's going to go. Um, and, and I think this is a long way of saying, I'm not going to mail it in. Okay. But you know, I always have the plan of how the show's going to go. And then my week kind of like demolishes that plan. Cause you got to get somebody, you know, for an interview, you got to sit down for that interview. You have to devote time to said interview and then put the show together. Got to put this monologue together and all that. And, and I have a lot of respect for live radio guys, um, especially Justin Kenner, who's going to be coming on here in a second, do the bulk of the show with me. I have a ton of respect for the live radio guys because they don't get do-overs. And that's probably why you hear a bunch of crazy, stupid shit on the radio all the time. Because when it's live, it's live. When it's rolling, it's rolling. Um, perfect example is today, I was putting together this podcast and I had an intro 
recorded. But as you'll hear with the Kinner interview, something happened with my audio, didn't realize it in real time. And so the intro audio just sounded like crap. So I was like, all right, I'm going to re-record this. So here I am re-recording it. I go to re-record it. Somebody knocks on my door and the dog goes nuts. You got to scrap that. I don't want you hearing my dog in the background. All right. So then I go to record a third time. I didn't say all the things I wanted to say because my mind was in a couple of different places. So sometimes, I want to let you know, sometimes it takes more than one go-round here to get these intros right. But fear not, loyal listener, I will get them right because I will not mail a show in. And much like Dayton Flyers games feel like they matter more because more people are there, um, the same applies to podcasting and radio. If nobody was listening to the show, or it was like a couple hundred people, or just like my buddies, I'd fucking mail it in, I'm gonna be honest with you right now. But since you people keep telling other people how good this show is, and how good talking out loud is, just in general, this show keeps growing, I keep getting more listeners, and here we are, late October, and we're already a thousand people per week listening to the show. Hats off to you, thank you. But very truly... Uh, That's the whole reason why I keep doing this, and I will not mail it in. So good show for you every single week. That is my promise. It's always been my promise, and I will keep that promise moving forward. As I said, bulk of the show tonight is going to be Justin Kinner from ESPN Radio 1410 Wing. You can hear it around the Gem City or on iHeartRadio. One of my housekeeping things for all of you out there um, in my quest to keep you know delivering a, a great show to you. Um, if you're in, if you're deep in the Twitter game, you know Jeff Goodman. Of course, you know Jeff Goodman. He's all over the college basketball media. I want you to go on Twitter and be very vocal about how he's fading this podcast right now. Sign Jeff up for an interview. Last three weeks, and uh, and, he, and he can't join us. He's too busy for you, Dayton fans. He's too busy making his own A10 podcast. He's too busy doing his own thing on stadium. He's too busy for you. So go on Twitter and light him up. Be like, what the hell, Jeff? Why aren't you on Talking Out Loud? These are the important things that need discussed in the opening monologue. Just go on there and uh, and give him some hell for me, okay? Because he's he's outwardly um, keeping me from delivering a good show. Or, or use it as a, an opportunity to talk some shit. If you don't like Jeff Goodman, and be like, hey... I don't want you on Sully's show anyways. And, um, and you know, we'll just let democracy kind of decide which way the public opinion shifts on this particular issue. Um, uh, coming up uh, before the season starts, we're going to have a, a couple more previews uh, with local media members, former players. Um, and and we'll, we'll keep doing the whole, you know, live show thing where I bring on former players because that's really what gets the people going, as they say. Um, not much more to discuss on the back end. I'm going to talk about the Knicks just shafting OB the best I can because I am not deep into the NBA game. I don't, I don't know all the intricacies of the NBA game like I do here at college basketball, but I'll talk about it at the end of the show for now. going to kick you on over to, uh, the interview with Justin Kinner and I'm going to apologize in advance again in the quest to deliver a good show. Apologize in advance for my audio being dog shit. Um, I'm figuring it out. I'm in a new home office. When you move, all your shit gets shifted around, and the you know the familiar things in in the office are, are now not so. So just bear with me, all right? Don't give me a bunch of shit. But again, nobody wants to sound like crap to a thousand people. So that's my promise to you: is that you know I'll keep trying to make this show sound better. Alrighty, interview right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
we're back. Uh, it's still talking out loud, and I'm still silly. But uh, now I am bringing you an interview with uh, none other than Justin Kinner of 1410 Wing AM in the Gem City and possibly of FM moving forward. Um, you know, I, I love having Kinner on because he uh, is responsible for a lot of the success of this program and most certainly, uh, not the least of which, is uh, putting my dumb ass on the radio to say all of these things in a more polished fashion. Um, but seriously, I mean, we wouldn't ha- have been able to do what we do at Tim's or uh, be on the radio in general without Kenner. So again, really responsible for a lot of the success uh, that the show has seen and you know, a well-regarded opinion haver around the Gem City. So uh, it's glad to have him back. Kenner, what's up, man? A well-regarded opinion haver. I think I'm about to head to Twitter and change my Twitter bio to that. That is perfect. Uh, but absolutely, man, it's always good talking to you. And I know when uh, we start like kind of texting and calling back and forth, that means basketball season's uh, almost here. So that is a good thing. I love college football, but man, there's nothing better than college basketball, especially in this city uh, when UD's rocking. And obviously, there's a there's a little bit of expectations this year, just a little. We'll see what happens. Some could call it palpable buzz. Some have called it that. I've heard here and there. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, the season here is less than 20 days away. We're recording Thursday, October 20th to get to you at our regularly scheduled Thursday programming. Um, and before we go further, shameless plug, we will be back on ESPN Radio talking out loud, going to do a spot. We're not exactly sure when, but just the same. Wanted to get a shameless plug out there. Uh, we will have our live show at Timothy's Bar and Grill on Brown Street. That is uh, on November 11th, I want to say, and that is the Friday night game uh, before SMU. Going to be coming to you at 5 o'clock live on the airways. Good way to wrap up the week before you go to UD Arena. Um, and then hopefully, the hope right now, Kenner, right, is that we're going to do the weekly show on ESPN Radio because that was a hit. You know, we did – what's this going to be now, the third year we've done ESPN Radio? Third year of talking out loud, and you know what? Like you deserve to have a season uh, capped off with a fun postseason run. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you had the great twenty twenty run, no postseason. Then you got the uh, interesting regular season last year with the three straight losses to the you know, in the bye games, and then no NCAA tournament run. This is your year. This is talking out loud's year. I'm feeling it. It's going to be a great regular season, and of course a tournament run to cap it all off. I can't wait. Well, I hope the uh, listeners out there will be with us every step of the way. That's the hope right now. Um, So, again, start the show, topic bleeding over from last week, NCAA tournament expansion still being discussed on the Twitter waves and maybe in some bars here and there around the Midwest and where basketball is discussed. Um, Quotes I saw this week were coming out of the woodwork from coaches, which is all too predictable. If you remember my sentiment on NCAA tournament expansion, Frankly, it's a stupid idea that is formulated by guys in conference rooms that have financial gains to make from this idea. And I will remind you that there is nobody right now that is in support of the NCAA tournament that does not gain from it financially. Like that is really where we're at is that the people that make these decisions have a lot to gain monetarily. And and that's really the end all be all. When you get into these discussions, when you really boil it down, it's following the almighty dollar and the fans are the ones that kind of get left in the dust. I don't, you know, because if you, if you flip it around, this isn't going to make a better product. This isn't going to make more drama. Um, this isn't best for the game. What it's best for is making money 
And that's what it really boils down to. And so the, the quote I'll start with this week is from Scott Drew at Baylor, uh, rolling my eyes as I, I um, pull this material up. And he said he'd be in favor of 96, maybe 128. And we discussed last week, it, it, that is such a bunch of bullshit. Because when you when you really get into it here, and you think about from a coach's perspective, why a guy like Scott Drew might be um, in support of this. Let's say Baylor has a down year, you know, God forbid, and they are, let's say, middle of the pack in the Big 12. Well, if you expand the tournament, it stands to reason they're going to get into that expanded tournament. And you know that all these coaches have some type of provision in their agreements that say, you know, make the NCAA tournament X amount of years. So selfishly, if you were in their shoes, what would you do? Of course you would call for an NCAA tournament expansion because it's in your best interest. So again, this goes back to the same point we make over and over and over that it's not for the fans. It's not for the product. All the people that are voting in support of the NCAA tournament expansion are doing it with their own self-interest in mind, and it always comes back to the almighty dollar. Kinner, I know that you, you probably discussed this on the radio waves a couple of times, but as far as NCAA tournament expansion, I know I really laid it out there, just how ridiculous it is and Guys like Ken Palm saying, well, the little guys will get in. But really what it does is further minimize the regular season, and it's going to put more Power 5, Power 6 teams, big programs in the tournament with maybe you know a handful of mid-majors that get another crack at it. But again, it's like I, I set you up for this a little bit because is the goal really to make the regular season more meaningless? Because it seems like that's where we're headed right now. No, and there's a ton of crossover between the arguments of, you know, expanding the NCAA tournament and expanding the college football playoff. The thing that drives me nuts is we talk a lot about, you know, people wanting to expand the college football playoff, which at least there's more credence to that as there's only four teams, and I understand it. But the concepts are similar, uh, Sully. Like, they want to expand the college football playoff and to use teams like the Cincinnati Bearcats, who are at least heading to the Big 12 now. But at the time, that team in UCF and some of these other smaller programs, the non-Power Fives, you know, they're screaming the loudest about expanding the college playoffs so that they would have an opportunity. But my biggest thing was the same arguments as to why you shouldn't make a 14 playoff or the same arguments as to why you wouldn't make an 8 or a 10 or a 12 or a 16 team playoff. There are always going to be teams that have better resumes than you, that have better wins, uh, that have better players, bigger, faster, stronger, all of those low-hanging fruit excuses that could be made. So I'm never a big fan of that. The other thing that's similar to the NCAA tournament, you know, expansion talk that drives me nuts is you're right. It's it's coming from the guys that have the most to gain uh, or excuse making. For instance, a lot of the conferences, the biggest conference that is pushing for the college football playoff expansion more than anyone else is the Pac-12. Well, that's because that's been the most disappointing underperforming conference since the college football playoff era began. Of course, that's USC, only way to yeah, you have USC, you have Oregon, you have all these top programs that have just absolutely shit the bed for year in and year out. And instead of holding them accountable, instead of looking at USC and say, hey, there's no reason why you shouldn't be in Alabama or an Ohio State or a Clemson. Get your shit together. Instead of pointing at the playoff to expand and say, hey, you know, we need to expand so it's more fair for our teams. No, you want to have your teams continue to underperform and get bailed out by getting the money of them making the playoff. And it's the same thing in the NCAA tournament. I'm not a fan of that, to your point about Baylor. They just want to have that that 
that opportunity to where if they do have a down year, they're still bailed out and still in the NCAA tournament. I don't like that. Expanding it is not going to let more of the little guys in. It's going to let more of the mid-tier SEC, uh, bottom-tier Big Ten, uh, Big 12. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to go down the list. There's going to be more of those schools getting in, and it's not going to be more room at the table for the little guy, no matter how much they try to say that, because the little guy is taking money from them. That's why they want to expand it. I hate the cliches of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that's exactly what the NCAA tournament is. College basketball does not get a lot right. There is a lot of deficiencies within the college basketball scheduling models and, and, and just the deficiencies from top to bottom of how college basketball is run. But the one thing that they do better than any other sport in the history of sports is March Madness. It is perfect. It, there is no flaws. We if, if the only thing we're complaining about solely is what's the purpose of the first four, which we love here in Dayton because it's here in Dayton. If that's the biggest flaw is people not comprehending what the first four actually is, then I'd say you have a pretty damn good thing going. But no, we're going to ruin this if they expand it. I am not in favor of it at all. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not really um, when you you know, it's not an apples to apples comparison because in college football, 6% of teams are getting in the playoff right now, right? There's a, I think 128 teams still or 130 right around there. And if eight teams get in the playoffs, it's right around 6%. Well, in the NCAA tournament with the 68 teams that get in right now, even with how rapidly it's expanding, that's 18% of teams, 18%, three times as many as football. So if you're clamoring and using that as an excuse or that's the basis of your argument, you're starting at a flawed uh, point number one. And that's really you know what it boils down to for me. I think it's a bad idea. Again, doesn't benefit the product, doesn't benefit the fans. It benefits those who have to gain financially. So, um, it, you know, we'll put that to bed since this is week two, episode two. We've been discussing it. If you have different opinions, please share them with us on Twitter.com. Uh, at Sully, my good name. I don't. I'm not going to promise that I care about them, but you can still share them just the same. Um, getting more specific on expansion in college basketball, conference realignment, reshuffling. Uh, preseason fodder is very strong as it is every year, and this year we're talking about. Uh, well, this year, every year we're talking about Big East expansion in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, fans always want to know when is the Big East expanding? Would we be first in line? And most recently, I, uh, I stumbled upon a tweet uh, that was from uh, Matt Norlander, who uh, met with the Big East Commissioner, Val Ackerman, who was talking about the Big East uh, TV media rights deal is going to be up very soon. Um, I believe that is at the end of next season, so that would be 2024 offseason. And Val Ackerman um, was pretty forthcoming about the fact that um, the Big East is going to be looking to expand because, again, they have to gain financially from doing so. It, with the new TV deal um, coming up around the corner, they're in a position where adding more teams and, again, adding more fan bases is going to be advantageous for them. And while I still believe this is a long shot, I do believe that this is about the best chance that Dayton has ever had to get into the Big East. And it's not as big of a long shot as it was, say, 15 years ago. So walk you down memory lane. Those of you around remember, maybe younger fans don't remember kind of how this shook out. Um, I'm going to, you know, put my opinion out there. It's not necessarily based in exactly how it all went down. But when the new Big East was forming, this was around the 08, 09 uh, time. 
they were looking at, again, you know, forming the new Big East, Butler, Xavier, um, that was when DePaul and St. John's, UConn. Um, and at that time, I think Dayton was a candidate potentially, but they were very much on the outside looking in. Now, there's sentiment around the fan base that Xavier held Dayton out of the Big East, and that could not be further from the truth. I don't think Xavier gives a rat's ass whether Dayton's in the same conference as them or not, evidenced by the fact that we haven't played Xavier in a non-conference matchup in quite some time. So the rivalry with Dayton doesn't mean as much to Xavier as it does to UD. So putting that aside, at that time, UD was building up again from uh, the back-to-back tournament runs of 03-04, and new coach Brian Gregory had a rebuild act to do in, in 05 and then 06, had the Brian Roberts era where they fell short in 07, 08, and then Chris Wright came into school, and then the team that was built behind him, Marcus Johnson, Chris Johnson, London Warren, Kurt Heelsman. That team was poised to, again, break through and have multiple years where they were back in the tournament. So what the Big East, I believe, is looking for at that time is who are going to be consistent winners. And if you're not a consistent winner, you have to be able to provide something else to us. That's one of the reasons St. John's and DePaul, they were of course, you know, old members of the Big East, but they give you New York City, they give you Chicago. Those are big markets. Those are desirable for TV deals. So again, if you're not going to be a consistent winner, you have to add something else to the mix. Well, Dayton, of course, as many fans around here know, they did take that step up in 2009. They went to the tournament, beat West Virginia, lost to Kansas in the second round, brought back almost the entire team besides Charles Little, and then they stumbled really pissed down their leg in February in conference play, missed out on the tournament, ended up salvaging the season and winning the NIT. And then in 2011, the season went downhill. Uh, Juwan Staten was a huge recruit, came in, uh, didn't get along with Brian Gregory. There were some things behind the scenes during that time, um, not the least of which was his dad kind of stirring things up. Juwan Staten says he's going to transfer. Brian Gregory takes off and goes to Georgia Tech. The Big East gets formed shortly thereafter. You know, that was the timeline that kind of led us to where we are today. And UD, unfortunately, was on the outside looking in um, because they didn't show that they could be a consistent winner. And at that time, it was, well, they have to go out and hire a coach. They're probably going to go through another rebuild. There was really no guarantee that Dayton was going to become a consistent winner. And then, of course, they did not until 2014 when Archie Miller took them to the Elite Eight and then four uh, consecutive tournament appearances were involved afterwards. But, Kenner, you know, from the way the way you see it, I know you're you're pretty plugged into college basketball just like myself. But, you know, am I wrong in saying that this is probably the best chance Dayton's ever had to take a step up out of the A-10 since they joined 25 years ago, right? I, I think it, it – for one, it has to be. I think that there's not desperation on UD's side, but there's going to be desperation on the Big East side of things, mainly because – as we're learning right now with all of the, this realignment in college in these conferences and college athletics, we're learning that football is the one driving the bus right now. Like, you know, we, we haven't even got to the point where we're thinking about like the big East. What is the future of the big East? What, what, you know what I mean? Like in the a 10 and these conferences, like we're just, I mean, football is all that matters in the eyes of the NCAA right now. They are doing everything they can to keep these power five conferences intact i don't mean to keep bringing it back to football solely but like in this no i mean it's true here, right it, it's big picture it, yeah what's left it's well i was going to say it's true that you keep going back to football but uniquely 
the Big East and the A-10 don't necessarily have to worry about that much, right? Oh, no, but I guess that's what I mean is, like, is the NCAA, I mean, is the Big East going to separate itself? Will the NCAA, you know, move? I, I, I just, I, there's so many unknowns and uncertainties as far as how much attention these, these non-football conferences are going to get. But my point with that is, is with that uncertainty, that's why it's even more important for conferences like the Big East to strengthen up as much as they can. And UD makes all the sense in the world. We're going to get to previewing UD season coming up in a moment, I know. But there is so much pressure on the expectations for this team coming up because of the uncertainty in college athletics. You know, is it fair that this is almost an audition year for UD as far as, you know, being, you know, we know that the brand is strong. We know that the revenue is there, that they're going to bring eyes to the conference and whatever conference they join. But if the missing piece solely really is, oh, the product on the floor, well, on paper, the Flyers have that right now. It just has to match with the results, and Anthony Grant needs to get them to the NCAA tournament. The Big East, I'm looking at the Big East, the current Big East right now. It's like you can't tell me that any of these teams are, uh, from a program standpoint, from a revenue standpoint even, that are head and shoulders past UD, that UD wouldn't come in and make an immediate impact uh, from strengthening the conference. I'm very interested to see what happens because this isn't even about the A-10 anymore. Like UD, I don't know what the holdup is on them joining another conference. Is it partially on them? Uh, or is there resistance on their part? Is it just the Big East saying, no, we're not there. We're not ready for you yet, all while being fans of DePaul? I, I just I don't get what the holdup is. I've always been fascinated by that. I don't think it's Xavier. I don't think that has anything to do with it uh, mm-hmm. like most people think. There is something there that we're just not privy to. Uh, and I've always been fascinated by it because every argument UD fans make about why they would be perfect for the Big East, you're not. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. The only thing that you can kind of go to now is, is it the on-the-floor stuff as you talked about, Sully? That's why I think this season's so important coming up. Maybe not an audition for the Big East exactly, but you can't tell me it's not technically either. It's kind of interesting. Is it fair? Um, no, but we're not in a fair business. We're in the business of making money in college basketball. And I can tell you that if the Big East sees Dayton as financially advantageous to pursue, they will do so. And that is why we talk about Dayton has all of the other stuff, right? Got the alum as a coach who's established. You have strong coaching staff, good brand that has improved over the last five years. We're a consistent program in attendance. Financials are good. We have the market, you know, because Dayton dominates the Gem City. What they don't have is consistent winning on the basketball floor. And so I think once that comes, and again, this is the year for it, the Big East would probably be in a position to make an offer to Dayton to expand. Again, it has to line up for everybody. But once it's financially advantageous for the Big East to pursue Dayton, They will do so, and it seems like, again, that the window for that is opening up again because this TV deal is coming down the pike, and the onus again falls back on Dayton, how important this season is, both from the expectations of Anthony Grant to the future of the program. Now, I've been pretty clear over the years in saying that if you want to move up to the Big East so bad, uh, the number one thing you can do to help yourself is beat up on the conference that you're in. And frankly, he has not done that over the last five years. Um, they did that between the years of 2015 and 2017, three years. But you look at all the years before that, getting our ass kicked by Xavier consistently, losing to Temple all the time. St. Joe's was a better program for a long point of time there, at least um, for longevity's sake. But 
you know, people just have to come to terms with the fact that Dayton is not a program that has won consistently and for long periods of time. Those are just the God's honest facts. And so if you're sitting there asking yourself, well, why hasn't Dayton made the jump? It's because they haven't dominated their own conference to justify doing so, and they haven't made themselves an advantageous program to pursue. So that brings us to this coming season, Kenner, and again, it's right around the corner of the expectations of the program. Um, pretty clear this year. I think last year uh, it was easy to fall back on the sword of this team being young. Uh, they have a lot to figure out, and of course they did figure it out. After the three-game losing streak that started the season uh, one and three, uh, many people have heard it before. They were a top 25 team from then on out. The problem is you have to be a top 25 team from the time the ball tips off from game one. And I'm really bullish on this team in the non-con because I think that that lesson will be learned now and they won't take those games for granted. But from where you're sitting, Kenner, this really feels like a put-up-or-shut-up year for Anthony Grant because he has detractors. He obviously has ardent supporters that will back him to the ends of the earth. But at the end of the day, it's about winning basketball games. And, and AG's job is not in jeopardy. It won't be regardless of how poorly or great the season goes. It's just, you know, it's just reality. Um, and again, rightfully so. But man, Ken, this feels like a really big year for AG, doesn't it? It does, and I'm glad you worded it that way. When I, when we both say it's a huge year for him coming up, it's not as if he's coaching for his job coming up. But <laughs> I've never, I've never seen a coach with such a, 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 I guess a bipolar resume when it comes to a tenure with the team because, you know, in his defense, we've seen a 20 win team feel like a very very bad season for you, dude. But that's because of the expectations that were put on and justified and you know cemented by their own athletic director Neil Sullivan. That it's all about the NCAA tournament. So to me, if that's the expectation every year and you don't get there, then that means you didn't live up to those expectations. It doesn't mean you're taking a, a shot at your own program. It just means hey, we didn't live up to what we expect here. But AG technically has not gone to the NCAA tournament. I know that 2020 season, that was an NCAA tournament run. But when I talk to most coaches and pro and athletic directors at different schools, that year technically doesn't count. I've talked to schools who yep. won their conference tournament that year who were on their way to the NCAA tournament. They didn't hang banners. They didn't, you know, it doesn't count. I have, you know, Northern Kentucky and some other schools who, who punched their ticket before COVID shut everything down. I asked how they went about that. And they said that they're not, they're not, you know what I mean? They're not acknowledging it as a tournament year the postseason sure. ever happened. So whether that's fair or not, that's up for other people to decide. But the reality is, is we have yet to see Anthony Grant pace the sidelines on a March Madness branded court uh, in mid-March during the NCAA tournament. And I think that's why this upcoming season, there's a lot of pressure on him and this team. My concern solely is the biggest knocks against Anthony Grant come in these close tight game situations. A lot yeah. of the, the coaching deficiencies come into play there with his decision making. Um, and I fear that this upcoming season with this team having so many uh, high expectations, I don't know if this team's going to be as good as that 2020 team or not, but in 20, they blew everyone out of the waters. They hid his deficiencies because there was no close games and the two close games they did play in, they technically lost. Right. So unless this team That's blows every lost. team out of the, unless this team blows everyone out of the water, we're, I think his coaching philosophy is going to be put to test as well, and I think it's going to open the doors to more criticism. But I don't—I sound too negative right now. I'm jacked about this upcoming season. I love that the, all five starters are back from last year. Uh, they have good incoming freshmen. I, I love that Sheriff Amps kid. Anthony Grant can coach, but his deficiencies get the best of him at times. But all they do is win. Bad coaches 
he would have been exposed if he was a bad coach by now, but I don't know if he's that elite coach that we all think he is. We'll find out this season, but this roster's elite, and the expectations are, are going to back that up. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, the um, the positives for the season are well-spoken for, and I think that's why I find value in, in kind of playing the other side at times. Um, you know, just last week we had Brooks on, cease practice, um, you know, can speak to the talent level, can speak to the fact that this team has matured, they have more vocal leaders, they have more depth. Across the board, it just feels like this team is taking a step up. Once again, the reality is that if you had one complaint to put on Grant and his tenure at UD, it's close games and it's yep. pulling the right strings at the right time late in those games. Well, when you have eight to ten bodies that are talented and are capable of getting minutes, it's going to fall on Anthony Grant to put those pieces in place at the right times. And if you are saying to yourself, well, he did that in 2020, I would argue against that because he had his five. He rolled them out every night. He had his first guy off the bench in uh, Cohill. In that 2020 season, the five guys on the floor were well-spoken for. Every single night, you were going out with Crutcher and Chapman, you were going with Mike Self and Landers, and you got Obi Top and Lottery picks sitting right down there, down low, your superstar. I mean, that team was so well-defined, how much coaching really had to go into the in-game um, the in-game strategy, right? The, the preparation, of course, you have to give the coaching staff uh, kudos for that. It, it felt like UD did not overlook a single opponent, and the rhetoric from that season was, if you want to go 18-0, and you got to actually handle that business every night. Sounds obvious, but it really isn't because, you know, uh, we saw it two years ago. You can overlook Fordham. You can overlook LaSalle coming into your, bi- your building. We've seen that time and time again. The 2020 team did not do that, and you have to give Anthony credit for uh, Anthony Grant credit for you know laying that foundation and keeping that message consistent throughout the year. Um, but going into this year, um, you know I'm really excited. The sky is the limit, really. You know you, you talk about the ceiling for this team really is a Final Four appearance. There's only a couple times in my life that we've been able to say that. Uh, probably you know even going into the 2020 year, right? We didn't have those high expectations. We thought, yeah, this team will be pretty good. But if you remember, Karen, no one was like, hey, this 2020 team's Final Four bound. Remember? Oh, nobody. And look, yeah. and, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that, I mean, I remember at the end of that uh, first season for Obi, everyone talked about, you know, when he went and declared for the draft after that first year and he got that NBA draft grade and they told him what he wanted to work on. This is why he's one of my favorite athletes of all time is because the NBA told him what he needed to work on. And my God, everything that they told him to work on, he didn't just work on it. He excelled it at the very next season. And obviously they went as he went, but everything that could go right went right for them that season. And that's why I look at this upcoming year. We saw Deron Holmes last year, very, very good in his first full year with UD, just like Obi was in his very first full season. Whether Deron Holmes likes it or not, he's going to be compared to Obi, and this program is going to be compared to that 2000. This season is going to be compared to that 2020 run. I think it really comes down to the the jump that Deron Holmes makes from last year to this year. Yes, Malachi needs to take a huge step forward. Tumani Kamara, all these guys, yes. But I think that this team, I, I think a lot of it, we're putting a lot of the expectation of this team making that big jump based on Deron Holmes' expectations of taking that jump from last year to this year in similar fashion that Obi did from that one first full year to the next. That's who I'm most intrigued by because I think the Flyers will go as Deron Holmes goes. They're going to be a 20-plus win team. They're going to be top 25. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. But I think the, the, you talk about the sky's the limit. 
you know, talk about the final four. I think all of that, honestly, whether it's fair or not, the pressure's on Deron Holmes, I think, to take him there. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's kind of the parallels I see in this season in the 2020 year. Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing about Duran that, uh, that I can clear up on, on that particular statement is that he loves being compared to Obi because that's why he came to UD. He said it a couple of times. He wanted to be that's the cool. next Obi Toppin at UD. Now, of course, he wants to be his own version of that, as every athlete does. But, um, you know, I thought that was really endearing. You know, most guys would, would get up there and they'd say something like, I'm my own player, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. But, you know, you know, give me, literally, you know, giving a nod no, to right. the guys that came before you are saying, like, you know, I'd be honored to follow in those footsteps. It says a lot about the character of, of number 15, and we talk about it a lot. I mean, he's, he's from a good family. Every interview he does, well-spoken, knows how to carry himself at 19 years old. It's, it's really impressive, and it does speak to the type of guys that AG has been bringing into the program um, the one knock I always keep having is like, man, we, we bring in a lot of nice guys, but uh, as long as they turn into dogs on the floor, I'm okay, you know, because like I want dogs in the program. I don't want no nice boys. That's that's just the reality of where I'm coming from, okay? Yeah, you want but, a player uh, as an example of that too, and UD fans will hate this, but David West was always that type of dude. Like, you yeah. know, he wasn't that nice guy. He was no. that dickhead out on the floor. <laughs> I'm not saying you want that D-head out on the floor, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? But you want that Gotta line. have one. You, but to be fair, that was Landers, and I'm not calling him a D head. By the way, that sounds very no. Bad. He was a dog. Like, yeah, well, he was a dog. Like, and, but he wasn't their best player. But like, I who who would you view as that guy? Who's that Landers guy for this season? Like, we talk. You know, about I think that's guys, what we're right? waiting on, right? Yeah, I think okay. I think yeah. that is the one question that needs to be answered. And I think Brooks alluded to it last week in saying that Kobe Elvis has turned into a very vocal leader on this team. Um, I think Malachi and Duran have taken on the, the role of this being their program, right? They, they really did exemplify that last year. You could tell they had a great deal of pride about this is our team, this is our city, this is our school, you know. But on the floor, you, you still need that, that vocal leader. You know, you got to have the guy that brings the energy, the intensity every game. And, and I, you know, maybe that's Elvis this year. We'll see. Um, I like the amount of questions that need to be answered for this UD team is, you know, who's going to stand out from the bench? Um, who's going to wiggle their way into that eight to 10 man rotation? Who's going to fall out of that rotation? Um, I think a lot of those things need to be answered and, um, you know, we're, we're almost there, man. It's like, you know, Dayton doesn't have the amount of tune-ups that they did in previous years. Um, they have Lindenwood night one, and then SMU's the second game. That's going to be a tough test. Uh, you know, night number two in the arena, and then right after that they go on the road to take on UNLV. So we'll know a good bit about this team. You know, if if Dayton is going to be this um, Final Four contender, they're going to be ranked all year. We're going to know in the first four games because if UD does not go 4-0 and before the Thanksgiving tournament, we're going to be asking some questions as to why, right? And I think that speaks to – the schedule that they put together, which is competitive, it's um, it shows that they have some urgency, and it shows that UD was kind of creative and going out and figuring out how they could get some tough games on the schedule. So, you know, applause all around. I don't know if you had a chance to look through the non-con schedule. We usually belabor it to the nth degree, but I was really impressed with the way UD put put the schedule together this year, which is typically something I do not say, as you know. 
Yeah, like in in. By the way, I just can't wait for you know the week of November seventh, so we could use the hashtag Beat Lindenwood. It's Lindenwood week, you know. That, that's yeah. Is that <laughs> yeah, what we're sorry. doing? No, but uh, my, look, everyone talks about like the you know the Atlanta battle for Atlantis, and we talk about some of these showcases and everything. But you know, I know everyone has that was you know the Wisconsin and maybe that Kansas matchup for for the third time, the rubber match, if you will. Maybe. But what I love is the the SMU matchup at UNLV. Um, I think that those are key right there at Virginia Tech. Uh, to me, I'm always just uh, – it's not that I don't mind – it's not that I don't like those, like uh, the Battle for Atlantis and those. Like those are great opportunities for the program to be on full display. You get great competition, just a different, uh, you know, vibe or whatever. But I always – I put more stock into how does the team look when they go on the road or when they welcome another team in. Um, you know, you know what I mean, playing those environments. I think that that's where you learn the most about your team. And that's what I'm really looking forward to, especially when they go at UNLV. And then I know this is still technically a, a showcase matchup, but that Wyoming team brings a lot of guys back from last year that was in the NCAA tournament. I know it's not as sexy as the potential Kansas and Wisconsin showdowns, but that Wyoming matchup too is low-key interesting as far as uh, you know that's concerned. They have some dogs. I, I actually called a Wyoming game in the NCAA tournament last year for them when their play-by-play guy went down sick. Uh, and I was really impressed with them, but they bring a lot of those guys back. So I'm excited for that matchup too. But uh, what do you think about the, I know it's your podcast, but yeah. the, the A-10, because we had Jablonski on the other day and we were talking about whether it's fair or not, this team will be compared to that 2020 team. And, you know, that team went undefeated in A-10 play and this team may not go undefeated in A-10 play. Does that mean they're not as good as that 20 team? That's all talk for later in the season, but what is your makeup of what the A-10 is? Because Jablonski said it's not fair to compare this team to that team because he believes the A-10's better to you. No. Um, no, I, I, I don't. I, I don't really give a whole lot of um, respect to the rest of the league, though. I, I never do. Um, I, I think the bottom seven programs in the A-10 are not worth a shit any year. It doesn't really matter, you know, what season we're in. Um, you know, Fordham, LaSalle, Duquesne, George Washington, those programs are so far beyond reproach right now. Like, they're, they're never going to be relevant. Um, something drastic would have to change for those programs to be truly relevant. And, and I mean truly relevant where, like, we're talking about them getting bids. Like, so often I have to roll my eyes nowadays <laughs> because you see, like, Mason fans out here, or Duquesne, or, um, I mean, I guess LaSalle you can use. And they're like, oh, man, look at this non-con. Got some good matchups. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, the, the non-con, the purpose of the non-con is to strengthen the resume for the NCAA tournament. If you're not doing that, it, it's literally just a bunch of teams on a piece of paper, okay? Like, the reason we talk about it in Dayton is because these games can further our agenda. They can further our resume to get into the NCAA tournament. But if you're not a team that, that can even sniff NCAA tournament contention, like, who cares who's on your non-con schedule? Like, you're going to go 5-13 and 13 in the A-10 never be heard from again. So... To answer your question, you know, is the A-10 going to be better than they were in 2020? I doubt it. Um, the top half might be a little bit stronger. The bottom will be just as bad as it always is. And then, and again, the middle teams won't matter. Like, you know, I keep seeing people being like, UMass is a dark horse pick. Like, get the hell out of here. Like, UMass is not going to be a relevant <laughs> program. Like, we, we have to stop this crap in, like, college basketball media where we, like, placate everybody because it's the right thing to do. And, oh, man, Frank Martin's such a good guy. Frank Martin's a great guy. He's on Twitter all the time, good and all that shit. They're not going to finish in the top five of the A-10. It's just not going to happen, all right? So No, Sully, real quick, I, I, I get that. But, and I'm not saying the A-10 is going to be, like, stand out this year. But 
I mean, for a non-Power 5 conference, I think the they best. have the best group of coaches. Like, they have the best group of oh, coaches. Yeah. I mean, forget uh, – programs-wise, yeah. But, I mean, when you look up and down that list of coaches in that conference, like, it's pretty damn impressive. You know, Archie coming back to the A-10. I know people like his, you know – resume took a hit with not succeeding at Indiana, but we can't sit here and date and act as if the guy can't coach. We watched it up close exactly. and personal. We watched what he did, especially in the most important month, which we're still questioning the current coach who's actually been won a national coach of the year award, what he could do there. The coaching in this conference is top notch. That's the only reason I'm willing to give the conference time to breathe a little, but at the same time, you are completely right. UMass, like, no, we need a lot of time to breathe on that one. That's not going to yeah. be an overnight fix. I don't care who the coach is. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I, I gloss over like George Mason's in that bucket right now. They're in a, you know, I'll see it when I believe it, or I'll believe yeah. when I see it type of situation. So, um, point is well taken. I, I think that much like the discussion we had to start the podcast, and that Dayton has, they are in the uh, best position they've ever been to join the Big East. I think the same holds true for the A-10 host uh, Xavier Temple exits. I think the A-10 is in the best position it has been in the last 10 years to finally take yeah. that step up as a conference, right? We don't have to talk about like constant landmine games. We don't have to talk about three teams being relevant and the rest of them being mediocre or worse. Um, if you if you give Frank Martin a couple years to succeed, he, you know he might be able to do it. He's done it in other programs, and he said that's his thing. He'd rather build a program up than than jump into a, a, a well established team, right? Um, hey, maybe Kim English can turn things around at Mason. I highly doubt it um, for many reasons I won't get into today. Um, <laughs> then you have Archie Miller, who should be poised to take a step up at Rhode Island probably by year two or three. Uh, I think he'll struggle this year. He'll probably improve. And then just like at Dayton, I think uh, he'll have a long-term plan to, to have them ready in, in years two and three. Um, and then, of course, yeah, hey, Loyola's got up-and-comer Drew Valentine, who um, took over last year, did a great job, got him right back to the tournament out of Missouri Valley. Anthony you didn't Graham, like that addition. Why didn't well, he? I was surprised when I came across on Twitter when you you did not like that addition. I did, but I'm curious your reasons for not liking it. I guess maybe I'm falling for the the uh, the recent. You know, you know what I mean. Like obviously, you could fall into the recency bias. Maybe that's yeah. where I'm living right now. But why aren't you a fan of that? I kind of like that addition. Um, I, I I thought there was recency bias. I thought it was a little nearsighted, um, especially with. Drew Valentine being a year one coach, um, mm-hmm. because when I look at programs and are they going to be good additions, throw out the markets thing. People would be like, "Well, the A ten one Chicago." Nobody in Chicago, <laughs> like most people in Chicago, don't even know where Loyola is. Okay, so like, just throw that out. I remember after Loyola went to the Final Four, uh, I was at a Cubs game at Wrigley um, a couple weeks afterwards. And all the Loyola guys were there to sing the seventh inning stretch, okay? They were wearing their Loyola jackets, and most people at Wrigley Field didn't even know who they were. Weeks after the Final Four. So put that aside. Like, the Chicago market thing is such bullshit. Like, that has nothing to do with anything. 
But Sister Jean is very upset with you right now. I know. I know. Swearing and hey, all by that. By the way, you want to know, I've, I've made a lot of people angry on my show, but I'll never forget the take that was kind of just one that I just made quickly and, and like moved on and I thought I was done with it. I pointed out that I was like, you know, I know everyone loves Sister Jean, but I'm like, that woman needs to like kind of let the kids enjoy this moment. Like, I have no clue why. Like, everyone is I, like, I didn't think it was that big of a comment, and my boss got loaded up with emails from all the the, the churchgoers around here. And my goodness, oh, yeah. I didn't say anything bad about her. I just said, hey, let the kids enjoy this moment. They played all season and worked all year. And now she's getting all the she's hogging all the TV time. My God, you would have thought I made a Jesus joke in church. People did not appreciate that whatsoever. Well, that has more to do with like TV production that does sister Jean. i don't think she's begging for the cameras i just think that if you're a tv producer you don't have any better idea rattling around your empty brain than let's show the old nun 55 times during the game you know um, she's 104 years old I mean, she's yeah still, they're rolling her out there man like, good for her yeah and and you know it's like the lee corso thing like holy yeah it's like people just want to hang on to it because oh it's it's his job to lose, man, or he can go out on his own terms, or your know, sister Jean can do whatever she wants. And it's like, well, they're just producers with bad ideas, okay? I heard like, somebody the other day say that that's like Dick Vitale. I said, and Dick Vitale's credit. I know he's not for everybody, but he's obviously a legend in college basketball. I know he can be a little over the top, but I've had him on in recent years. Just I mean, last year he's been battling you know, cancer and everything, but the year before that, I mean, the guy still has it. I know he's older, but, man, when you compare him to Lee Corso, that Lee Corso thing, man, like they need to stop that. I get why they're doing it, but that's uncomfortable. Like they need yeah. to just stop that. Now, at least Dick Vitale, as of right now, who knows what how he sounds this upcoming season. I still think he still has that inner self of him uh, to yeah. still, you know, sell. But uh, I know he's not for everyone. But let's not act like whenever they did the whole, uh, it, you know, when he announced that game day is coming to date, that that wasn't a huge deal because it was. Yeah, he, he doesn't have his fastball, but he still has some off-speed stuff, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we're, we're talking to Justin Kerry right now from ESPN Radio here and talking out loud, wrapping up. Um, you know, to answer your question, come full circle. The, again, the Loyola edition was nearsighted to me. I would have waited to see if Drew Ballantyne could have steadied the ship for like multiple years before bringing them in. But same thing that we started the show. We're going to come all the way home full circle. The A10 probably felt that it was financially advantageous to pursue Loyola. And here we are. Um, I hope it doesn't turn out like a George Mason, but boy, it really feels like it's going to turn out like a George Mason to me. Um, That's a good comparison. I didn't even think about that because George Mason was like, I was such a, I was a young kid when they made that run. I didn't think about making that, that, you know, crossover right there of just jumping on the, oh crap, their brand's strong right now because of this. Uh, but yeah, that's a good comparison right there. Yeah. And I mean, that was the same situation where Jim Laranega was the reason for their success. He left. They haven't been the same since. You know, I am always willing to attribute success in college basketball directly to the coach, just like I'm going to directly attribute failures to that same coach. And I, I just, it scares me to add Loyola into a mix because, you know, LaSalle and Fordham are going to be a hell of a lot better than Indiana State and Valpo when they're at the bottom of the Missouri Valley. That is just what you get when you get into the A-10 right, is that you get better teams at the bottom, even though they stink in regards to, like, what we are aspiring to. They're better than the bottom of the Missouri Valley, and that's why I think it's going to be a bumpy road for Loyola this year. However, as I stated last week, history says that um, Loyola's probably going to have a pretty good year one because the last uh, few teams, except for George Mason, talking about Richmond, SLU, 
uh, VCU, Butler, and Davidson have all had successful A-10 seasons in year one. So I guess that's something to be encouraged about. I know Loyola fans are very bullish. They're going to be very happy to be in the conference. There's going to be better teams going to their little-ass gym in Rogers Park. But, um, you know, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, I want the conference to be strong. I just think we have so many programs right now that are treading water um, on the wrong end of mediocre. And uh, that's got to change for the conference to have a better perception. And it probably starts with LaSalle, Fordham, and, and UMass finding somewhere else to be. UMass because of football, <laughs> LaSalle and Fordham because they're LaSalle and Fordham. Um, you but, know, I'm glad you brought that up. I've always said, too, we talk so much about conference expansion, and I know why we don't or we don't do this next theory I have because of you know money. It's all about money, the TV markets and stuff. I know that plays a role technically. But, man, I think some of these conferences, you know, when we're talking football, basketball, whatever, talking about expanding, I'm like, my God, I think you can cut some teams. Like, I think we need to stop rewarding teams who have a, uh, you know, a quick NCAA tournament run or a couple years of a recruiting class taken over and rewarding them with it. I think that we should punish teams who don't live up to their end and get and move on from teams. Like, I'm just, when's the last time teams got kicked out of a conference? Like, that's what drives yeah, me nuts I is I think conf- these programs need to be held accountable too because you're weighing down these conferences. Uh, I know, but to your point, like Loyola recency bias you know i'm falling for it i think it's a good addition but it could end up hurting the a10 and just being another one of those cinderella teams that made a great run one year and now they're at the bottom of the basement pulling everyone down so we'll see what happens but i I just can't stand how many of these conferences collect these nobodies at the bottom who don't bring anything to the table it drives me nuts you bring it up in the a10 all the time yep yep i I certainly do um Karen, I, I know that uh we we always say hey we'll we'll do like a half hour on the show and then it always ends up going way longer than that and uh today was certainly no exception so uh not that i want to cut the program short because i i do enjoy being long-winded here on on talking out loud but uh always a joy to talk basketball with you and uh we'll be doing a lot more um yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to making my thursday appearances on your show and then putting the a good product on afterwards uh to have talking out loud on the radio and and then, of course, uh, the live show coming up on to November 11th uh, for the SMU game at Tim. So thanks again, man, for everything you've done for this show and, uh, and you know, just, just being a guest to, to shoot the shit and talk some basketball today. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part is I forgot when I heard you cuss for the first time when the show started today. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can cuss, too. I called David West a dickhead a little bit ago. That was pretty cool. I, I can't do that on 1410 WING. So there's that. But, I'm getting them all yeah, out of the man. way before I go on the radio with right? you. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate it. I always love coming on and uh, looking forward to chat with you more with the season coming up. So thank you. That is Justin Kenner, ESPN Radio, here on Talking Out Loud. I'll be right back to bring the show all the way home. I'm not going to cut you short in 45 minutes. Uh, This is Talking Out Loud. I'm your boy, Sully. Here, we'll be right back. And welcome back. Rounding out the show here on Talking Out Loud. Still Sully, I'm going to bring it all the way home uh, by my lonesome today, but uh, it's good to, to talk basketball with Kenner. Um, it, he is a, uh, a well-founded opinion haver on ESPN Radio. If you don't know where to find him, the Justin Kenner Show airs uh, 1410 Wing. That is uh, 3 to 6 every weekday, Monday through Friday, uh, with Kev Nash on there. Guys do a great job talking about uh, just about everything, man. They're uh, the range is wide. They're not like me where I'm uh, kind of singularly focused on one thing. So with that in mind, there uh, there was something else that hit my desk uh, just recently. 
Um, not the least of which was Ken Palm rankings are out as well as AP rankings. To no one's surprise, Dayton coming in in the top 25 in all of them. And depending on what rankings you put weight on, um, I know I've seen them as high as I think 11th with Seth, Seth Davis's rankings of the athletic. Ken Palm at 24, AP ranking at 24. That's kind of where I had him between 20 and 25. Um, with the preseason polls that were coming out, just seemed realistic. That's where they were going to land. And in fact, that's where they did. Um, last night, NBA season started, uh, maybe it was two nights ago. I'm not the best on keeping track of NBA news and goings on. But what I am... Uh, keeping track of is the uh, progression or lack thereof of Obi Toppin's minutes with the Knicks. And so yesterday I uh, I put up a tweet that was talking about um, the fact that when Obi got drafted to the Knicks, and this was in 2020, um, I had said on draft night, please, anybody but the Knicks, anybody but the Knicks. And he ended up going to the Knicks, quite obviously. And now, uh, my friends, the chickens are coming home to roost. Um, he's being wasted away on the bench last year for a losing team. This year, which will undoubtedly be another losing team or a team that exits early in the playoffs. And fans of the Knicks, who were once bullish, once optimistic, have now turned that cheek and came around and joined me in the fact that they're a crap organization that drafts poorly, develops poorly, and, and they, they don't put their team in the best position to win. Year in, year out, you can see it. Um, you know, the, the Knicks are uh, a type of team that has drafted poorly now for going on, oh shit, maybe uh, a decade. And you're talking about a Knicks franchise that hasn't consistently been to the playoffs in seven, eight years. Uh, they went to the playoffs three years in a row from 11 to 2013. And then they've made the playoffs one time since then, a first round exit in 2021. And, you know, you, you look at the up and down the list of guys that have been drafted by the Knicks and frankly, where I was coming from and saying that I didn't want Obi to land there and going all the way back to 2011, uh, Iman Shumpert was 11. Good pick there. I think we can all agree. Uh, 2012 was a Greek guy I've never heard of. 2013, Tim Hardaway, who doesn't even play for them anymore, averages 15 minutes elsewhere. Uh, Giannis's brother in the second round of 2014, he's never gotten minutes on any NBA team. Clee Anthony early 2014. And then Kristaps Porzingis, who they traded away to Denver. Uh, Frank Nilakina. Uh, was 2017. He was first round pick number eight. Uh, I'm not saying Frank Nilakina is not a good player, but to say that he's the eighth best player in that draft is frankly ridiculous. Then uh, Kevin Knox in 2018, Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, and Kyle Guy. I think the jury's probably still out on uh, how productive RJ Barrett's going to be for that team. So without digging into the Knicks roster, I just listed off a bunch of guys that Frankly, not a single one of them are superstars that play for the Knicks. And, and that's kind of where I'm getting at here is that when I looked back at all the picks they've made and the futility that the Knicks have had for going on about 20 years now since the Patrick Ewing era left, um, this was always going to be the end uh, story for Obi on the Knicks. And let's 
you know, hope that we can do him a service and all Dayton fans who are interested in Obi's progression in the NBA a service and get him traded to a team that will utilize him properly. Pretty much anybody but the Knicks will be a better option at this point. Maybe save the Sacramento Kings. So without going too far above my skis and depths that I don't know much about, again, NBA rosters, I can confidently say Obi will be better served on another roster that isn't the Knicks, and hopefully it is sometime in the very near future. Wrapping up tonight, uh, again, Dayton about 18 days away, I believe, from game number one against Lindenwood. That's on uh, November 7th, um, Monday night. Um, Still jury's out on what Lindenwood's name is. I I don't look it up before the show comes on because I'm going to keep calling them the Lindenwood whatevers until the game is played. However, the game does need to be played just the same. Uh, secret scrimmage, not so secret scrimmage coming up, uh, this weekend playing at Bethany college. I believe they are playing, uh, West Virginia to kind of kick the season off before, uh, that exhibition, which is going to happen against Capital university for your Dayton flyers. Um, last topic I wanted to bring up tonight, cause I think it's interesting. And if you're listening all the way to the end of the show, you are interested in the goings on in college basketball tweet from Matt Norlander late last night, October 19th was talking about a story that broke in May. College football or college basketball fans rather might remember the story from May. It um, was the idea of taking about 200 teams across the U.S., um, putting them against each other in mid-February right after the Super Bowl when football isn't something you have to worry about anymore. And the metrics in late January would determine the matchups, a home and away, for the non-con games of that week. So if you're following along here, we would take a two-week pause or maybe a one-week pause for conference play across the country, and the top 200 teams would get pitted against each other, I'm assuming in an equitable fashion where um, you you take high-low, high-low until you get to the middle, and ostensibly what it would do is if you go 2-0, and it greatly helps your resume. If you go 1-1, and it probably doesn't hurt you too much. And the only way it's going to actually hurt you is if you go 0-2. So it stands to reason many teams should want to jump on board because playing two of these games, especially for programs like Dayton or programs in the Mountain West, playing two of these is going to be better than playing two more games in your own conference. However, you could probably guess that with conferences shifting more and more to more conference games, more games in-house, more TV coverage of those games that are in-house. I'm speaking specifically about like the SEC and the Big Ten. They're going to 20 games so that they get the TV rights, they get the money, and more eyes are watching only their brand. Um, You could see where those types of programs would maybe not be as quick to make that jump. However, uh, Matt Norlander reporting yesterday that the whole reason that this has got blown up is skittish coaches. Uh, The WAC commissioner, Brian Thornton, who helped concoct the ambitious plan, quote by Matt Norlander, said that not enough leagues were willing to do this starting with next season. Seven leagues were in. I have to imagine the A-10 was one of them for the aforementioned reasons. But the geography and travel logistics necessitated that at least 10 leagues would do this so that East and West could be linked. Norlander was told there were two leagues in that top 10 to 14 range that were theoretically in, but were afraid to commit until other comparable leagues jump first. I see this a lot in uh, my business of technology, um, you know, new technology adopters. Nobody wants to be first. You want your neighbor to go first, see if it works out for him, and then yeah, maybe we'll dip our toe in. 
kind of the same thing here. It was a months-long waiting game because some coaches were waiting for other coaches. Those coaches were waiting for the, the first coaches, and it was just this big stalemate of people waiting for other programs to jump in these waters to do this. I mean, it's looked at as a revolutionary idea, but really what it is is strengthening your schedule in February and not playing the same tired conference games that people, frankly, get tired of by the time we get to mid-February. The two coaches who were for uh, this whole idea told CBS Sports that most coaches in their leagues were stubbornly opposed to the idea of stepping out of conference play in the middle of February. Reasons varied, of course, but we know why coaches are terrified to give up control of their schedules. One coach uh, portrayed some of his contemporaries as borderline aghast, still reading from Matt Norlander, at the notion of playing a non-conference game in February. Oh my God, can you imagine playing a non-conference game in February? The world might end. It's absurd how many things come up that you you have to roll your eyes at. They were also told on one coach's call that one coach with more than 20 years of experience called it one of the dumbest ideas he's ever heard. Oh my God, it's the dumbest idea he's ever heard to put good teams against good teams out of conference in February. The dumbest. Scheduling guru Kevin Paga, who works for uh, Michigan State, laid out how these schedules would work. Uh, Again, two non-conference games late in the season, 2-0, good stuff for you. 1-1 net positive, still probably, and then 0-2 hurting you. Um, At one point, 22 out of the 26 non-power leagues were engaged in real discussions to hash this thing out. The practical hope was that at least like a half of them would sign up for year one. And then ideally, people would obviously see this as a good idea and net positive for the sport. And then they'd get on board for years two, three, and four. Um, In typical, this is Matt Norlander's quote, in typical NCAA fashion, uh, the establishment got very scared. Um, Can you imagine programs going out and doing whatever they wanted to schedule non-con games? The NCAA just can't have that. And so the quote was, it's honestly disappointing that more people couldn't see the bigger picture. This is WAC commissioner. And how good this would have been for college basketball. So many people want to complain about the system, but so many were unwilling to take a chance. And at this point, if you're not willing to overhaul the system... There is no reason to complain. Norlander agrees, said Thornton is right. When you look up, uh, look up in March of 24 and um, or just in March in general and you see how many mid-majors are on the bubble, you could see how many could obviously benefit from having better games on their schedule that weren't the SWAC or the WAC or uh, the MAC with two M's. Again, for programs that are probably A-10 Mountain West and below, this is a no-brainer, but you probably have to have the buy-in of the larger leagues for it to make sense and for it to get the um, television notoriety that would be necessary to drive financial gains. So the end of this is that there is still a chance that leagues could jump on board as soon as 24-25, but if it's going to happen, the people in the boardrooms are going to make the call. And I started the program and ended the program intentionally to remind you that those in the boardrooms, those in the conference rooms, those on the WebEx conference calls are still guiding the decisions of college basketball and they will always fall back on the decisions that are financially advantageous for them to pursue. 
That's our show for tonight. I'm going to take you out with a band I've been listening to a ton recently. I've uh, been in airports a lot, so you have a lot of time to listen to music, podcasts, what have you. The song's called Always Alright. It's by the Alabama Shakes. If you've never heard them before, you probably should get familiar. Just some good, like, down-home rock and roll. Uh, Brittany Howard, lead singer, fantastic. So here's Always Alright, Alabama Shakes. What I'm taking you out with, 18 days until the first game. Until then, wear red, be loud. Catch you next time. Well, you come up stairs, but not the top. You stay a little wide and you do a little walk home. I hear you downstairs smoking cigarettes. I hear you talking shit because you ain't got nothing to talk about at all. So you took me to the party and got me to know the situation.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.